We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Listen, listen, people. I will tell you no lie this morning. I truly have felt like I am walking with one shoe on. You ever do that when you was little? Have like one of your mama's shoes? I guess that's a girl thing. Just walk with one of your mama's shoes and you have that. That's what I feel like. Because if y'all have not noticed, my boyfriend is not here. And that is super weird for me. That is not how we roll. Last week it was me. This week it's him. And it's just, it's, it's, your pastor is struggling this morning. Amen. So please help me to feel. No, the truth be told, I really do feel better being here. It's so different because I was, yesterday I was literally alone all day yesterday. So when I got here today and it's like people that you actually see and smile, it's like this is what people feel like when they come in here. It's like it's, it is a very warm welcoming to see the family again. So I appreciate y'all. I know he has shared with you guys how our, our kids tease him about the fact that he can't sleep in the bed when I'm gone. That's so funny because he's so big. It's not like I'm providing any form of protection. My presence is not helping him at all. But I thought that was so funny that he told you all that because it's a family joke that we all tease him because he's destroying my couch so I can't be gone for long periods of time because he's going to ruin my couch. But it was so funny that I noticed about myself, I don't go downstairs if he's not home. I don't go downstairs at all. I have not sat on my couch. I have not turned on my TV. I have not eaten in my kitchen. I'm in my room or in my pink room. My pink room is my prayer room. I'm in my room or in my prayer room the entire time. There is no need for me to go downstairs unless I'm walking downstairs to go out the garage door to get out the, into the car. Yes, pray for us because we, we might, that might not be all right. There might be a thing there. Anyway, um, he started a series last week, so I'm at the volleyball court watching the podcast of Vanessa and I, and I was like, I know people think we're weird, because we're with earbuds in and the screen on, it's a whole volleyball game, and we're <laughs> and clapping and stuff, and I know, we, I know we looked crazy, I know that we did, but what they do know is we do God, amen? Okay, so he started a series last week, Escape Room, and I was so mad that he waited until I was gone to jump into this series, but he mentioned that we went to an escape room. I couldn't see y'all on the live stream when you said how many of you guys went. So how many of you guys have been in an escape room? You know the little events they have on, yeah, the escape room. Those are so fun, right? I hope you had a good, well, it depends on the experience. It depends on who you went with. Because, like, you can go with people you don't know, and then you can make a group of people, and you go, and it, it depends on who you go with, truth be told, to tell if you have um, a good time or not. And he explained how the goal is. They give you some big scheme or something, the theme of it, and then you try to use your tools to get out of the room. Y'all get that right? But the, the, the difference there with the escape room is that you're pressed to get out, you're encouraged to get out, you're passionate about getting out, because you know that if you get out and you solve the mystery, you're deemed a winner. Like, I beat it. I beat that one. And there's like a sense of accomplishment when you get out of there. But the difference between that escape room experience and the room to escape that God offers is we're not always passionate about getting out. That's not always a desire. If we're honest, you don't look for exits to places you ain't trying to leave. You know, you don't, you don't have no rush or desire to try to leave. But I really believe that a lot of the reason that we don't look or we're not really anxious on getting out of temptation or getting out of these situations that the enemy offers to us is because we don't always understand the magnitude of the situation that we're in. We don't understand the gravity 
of the situation. So we're not pressed for immediate exit. There's no urgency for exit because it doesn't really seem like it's that big of a deal that it's in it. You know, we gauge temptations. Like, that ain't that big of a deal. Like, that's worth putting my Jesus down for. That's, not, that, that's just small. That's, that's a light thing. And so because we don't understand the magnitude of the situation, there's no urgency there for us to get out. So I had, um, I've told you guys this before, I um, was an advocate for mental health. I was a, a mental health case manager for a couple years, and before that I was um, a um, uh, the case manager for the Department of Children and Families. Um, so because of that, I saw my clients in home. I had to go to where they were to be able to, you know, to engage them. And um, they gave me a trainee somebody who's new, they had to come, and they shadow you before it's okay for them to go out into the field on their own. So for a, a length of time, they are under you, they watch you do your paperwork, they're with you everywhere that you go before they can be trusted in the field on their own. So I had this young lady with me, and I was like, okay, well, we're going to ride in the same car, you drive. So I get, in, I get in her car, and you know, I'm giving her the rundown as we're going to see the client, um, and we, she pulls up, and she pulls up in the driveway, and she turns the car off. And I immediately realized she don't get it. Mm -mm. Honey, turn that car on. Pull out of this driveway. Park on the street. Because what you might not understand is we're going into the home of a bipolar schizophrenic. And if somebody pulls up behind us and things go left in there, we can't get out. But I realized then she didn't understand the gravity of the situation that we were in. I had to then begin to give her the breakdown. Honey, when we get inside of the door... You got about 30 seconds to assess who else is in this house outside of us. You need to make sure that there's not somebody in the bedroom, kitchen, bathroom, closet that you're not aware of is in the space. Not saying they can't be there, you just need to know that they are there. You need to quickly, as you enter the threshold of the room while still engaging with the client, be able to access all the exits. How do I get out? When we walk in, you make sure that she walks ahead and you close the door behind you. You are the person that closes the door. Why? Because you need to make sure it doesn't lock behind you. Like these are things that I had to make sure that she had to get an understanding of because when you're in the situation, you need to understand the gravity of the situation that you're in. My assignment this morning is to help you to understand the gravity of the situation that we are in. For you to understand the fact that Temptation is never just temptation. Temptation always has agenda, an agenda that is strategic and beyond what you can just see. That is more than just the enemy tugging on a weakness. No, because that tug is a part of a very intricate plan that has a much larger scheme and scale to try to bait you into choosing your flesh over your God. It's never just about that TV show you don't want to turn off. It's nothing that's a little bit like I want to say something. It seems so small. But there's such a larger scheme at play. Temptation wants to get you to feed a part of your flesh so that it is nourished. You get that? That tugging at your flesh. There's a goal to get you, to bait you into feeding your flesh. Well, why would that be? Because the enemy knows that if I continue to get you to feed your flesh, feed your flesh, feed your flesh, you will ignore your spirit. That in that moment, you're making a decision. See, it doesn't feel like that at the time that you're tempted. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal. 
You know, it was like two seconds. I rolled my eyes for two seconds. It wasn't that serious. Like, I, I, I knew better than to say that last line of what I had to say, but I had to put the mm to it, so I had to say that part. Yeah, I went ahead and answered that call, but, you know, I just won't answer it the next time. It seems so simple. But the agenda is always to get you to feed something in your flesh that is an enemy to your spirit. Because remember, we're three-part beings. Okay, so let's teach that. I know that we, I'm sure that we have heard that at TMC before. We are three-part beings. We are a spirit. We live in a body. We possess a soul. We are spirit first. We live in a body. We possess a soul. Body, flesh. Our flesh and our spirit play for two different teams. They're not ever going to get along. They're not ever going to agree. They play for two different teams. They're going for two different wins. They have two different agendas, and the agendas clash. So he's always trying to throw little temptations, dangle little things in front of you to try to get you to go for the bait that's going to feed your flesh. Why? Because he knows that eventually life is going to present a fight that's going to have to call for a win in the spirit realm. But your spirit will be outmatched. And it's really, it's really sad because in the spirit realm is where your victory is. You are called to be victorious in the fight in the realm of the spirit. But if you spend all of this time feeding your flesh and all of your natural desires and everything that your flesh could ever want, then when it comes time for you to have to intercede, when it comes time for you to have to war for your mind and war for your heart or war for your children or war for your family, you're going into the fight as a disadvantage because all that you've entertained was your anger, your lust, your disappointment, your confusion, your frustration, your anxiety. Every temptation that he has offered you, you've consumed yourself with. And now you get into the fight and you're at a disadvantage. Um, I can call a witness to be able to testify to this. It's one of the greatest examples of scripture in, in scripture about this type of setup is our friend Samson. Is anybody familiar with Samson? Right? Wait, look, if you don't know, do not feel bad. If you have read or heard the story of Samson, raise your hand. And if you have not, do not feel bad. Okay. For the sake of explaining, I'm going to go to Judges 16. Judges chapter 16, I'll start at verse 4. You can go there if you want. If not, I'll read the scene. I'll read the scene. You just watch. However it is, I want you to make sure you take a mental note so you can watch this play out. It's Judges 16, and I'm going to read uh, NIV, and I'll start at chapter 4. I hear pages, so maybe I should wait. Judges 16. NIV, okay, you know what's funny? I'm going to tell y'all something funny, and don't laugh at me, just love me. I was telling Portia, I am at the reader's age. <laughs> I have gotten to the age where, yeah, I even brought my little reader glasses, but I think I'm all right because this thing, this thing illuminates, so I think I'm good. <laughs> Judges chapter 16, starting at verse 4. Sometime later, now let me catch you up. Samson, is, um, he was born on a Nazarite vow. And that vow, a part of that vow is this covenant he had with God that he was actually born into. Um, it says that you cannot cut your hair. To keep this promise, to keep this covenant, a razor is never to touch your hair. Now, Samson was a warrior. He was, uh, he could do, he had the strength of what armies could not do. So the Philistine opponent, the Philistine enemy knew that this man has this godlike strength and we can't beat him. Nobody can this is what we're reading about. Um, but Samson always had a woman problem. <laughs> Just be honest. 
Samson, Samson always struggled with a, with a woman problem. He, okay, so this is where we're meeting him on at verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman, told you, fell in love with a woman from the, valley, from the valley of Sirach, whose name was Delilah. The ruler of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him, tempt him, into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so, he may, so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dry, I will become weak as any other man. Then the ruler, that's what I said, why would he tell her? Then the, ruler, then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dry. She tied him with them, she tied, and she tied him with them. When the men hidden, with men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings and easily as, as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come on now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah says to Samson, all this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave seven, braid, seven braids of my hair into fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, that will become weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Samson, while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the looms with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say you love me when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging and prodding him day after day until he was sick to death of it, she told him everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become weak as an, any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the ruler of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. The ruler of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hand. They came silver ready. After putting him to sleep in her lap, she called to someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Listen to this part. Then she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll be out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. I know that was a lot, but I needed you to hit the details of that story. Because there's so many messages in that story, but I'm going to stick to the one that we're going to today. I know that as you read that, you think, Samson, are you dumb? Like, why would you continue to do this? But Samson was overconfident. 
Samson felt like he could play with the temptation. Like, I know I'm not going to break my covenant with God. I already know that, you know, I'm not going to go there. So he felt like, you play with me, I play with you. And he felt comfortable in this engagement and this dance he was doing with temptation. Because he was so confident that I know I'm not going to fall. Pastor Wazell told us last week, never get so confident in your wind that you feel like you are above temptation. And then we like to think that, like, how could Samson keep falling for the same thing? I mean, she said it, like, three times over and over and over again. Well, look, don't come for Samson. Because Samson, just like us, has been tangled up in the same temptation over and over and over and over again. It hasn't stopped us yet from having the war against it. You're your third set of friends. Your third set of friends God has given you. And the, dang- the enemy dangles this toxic way of thinking that you tend to entertain. And now you've created that same atmosphere of confusion with this set of friends that you did with the last set of friends so don't come for don't come for samson and god has blessed you with a beautiful wonderful spouse and you are so grateful for the spouse that you have but this phone call from this ex who's an ex for good reason you just can't seem to not push decline you can't push decline you have to respond in your text message or you have to make sure you open your dm just to know that they read it i mean don't come for samson don't don't come for samson or you can't keep yourself you know like i get to a certain kind of mad and i just got to put the cuss word on it to get my point across you know like i just got to put that sting on it but you do it every time so it's now just a behavior so we look at samson and think like how can you keep doing this same thing but don't take yourself far from the story because we are very much in Samson's position quite often. He tried to outwit temptation. But the scariest part of that text for me is that, like I said, there's going to come a time when life calls for a spiritual fight. And he didn't even know that God had left. He had been dancing with this temptation for so long, he did not realize the damage he had done to his spirit. He did not realize the damage he had done to his relationship with God. If that's not enough to scare you into finding an exit, that the next time something revs up, God, I am not willing to forfeit my promise. God, I am terrified of the fact that there's a possibility that I can entertain something that will make you separate yourself from me. Now, mind you, you can't separate yourself from the love of God, but sin will separate you from the presence of God. Ask Adam. And I don't want to be baited into something because, you know, anytime temptation shows up, you're at a point of decision. You got to choose. I'm having to choose which team I'm going because they're two different teams. I got to choose which team I'm going to side with. And it's only going to take so long before God is the one that's never chosen that you realize he got distant. And guess what? It's not him that moved. So in that in the moment, in the time of temptation, God, not only am I looking for a way of escape, God, I'm looking for your face in it because we can't always recognize sometimes. Holy Spirit lead us. Okay, so you hear all that and then you ask yourself, okay, you know what, Pastor Tina? You know, you're right. I get it. I don't want to put myself in that position. I want to make sure that I stay in a winning position. I want to make sure that I do not let my flesh get the advantage. What do I do? Because it does no good to present a problem without a solution, right? It does no good to show you there's a fight if you don't have a strategy of how to win it. Um, Scripture gives us a lot of different um, 
ways to make sure that we handle the enemy, making sure that we put on the whole armor of God, making sure, you know, ways, battle strategies, making sure that we are using the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But one of the things that sticks out to me um, is in James 4, and it's verse, I believe, 7. And it says, um, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the enemy and all of his foolishness and all of his offerings and everything, all of his suggestions. Resist it and he will flee from you. I think that we hear that. Is that new scripture to you or you've heard this before? You've heard that before. That's the, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The problem is we tend to, instead of resist, ignore. And there's a difference between resist and ignore. There is an intentional difference between exist and ignore. Janiah, can I use you? Can you, can you be my person? So Janiah is temptation. You're such a cute temptation. <laughs> She's temptation. Okay, come in for the hug. Give me a hug. Come on. Mm-hmm. This is the hug. This is ignore. <laughs> like I'm in full embrace, but this is ignore. I'm doing enough to let you know I don't want it but I'm not really doing anything about it. Yeah. This is how we handle the, this temptation. You know, you know, next time I know he is married, and the next time he flirt with me, I'm acting like I don't even hear him. <laughs> ignore. This is ignore. Mm-hmm. Now. now, come in for the hug. This is resist. Mm-mm. This is resist. Resist got a whole different position. Resist got a whole different strategy. Resist got a whole different level of aggressive. And resist doesn't care about how you feel about the fact that this is not welcome. The next time you try to talk to me and I know that you're married, let me point out to you, sir, I know that you're married and you know that you're married. Why would you disrespect me and her by saying, address, resist, make some effort. I know every time I go over there, I'm going to end up smoking. I know I don't want to be smoking, so I'm not going over there. I'm sorry, y'all, I'm not coming. I know every time that I'm around you, it makes me entertain my messy self. So I'm going to let you know, you know what? It's not you, it's me. I need to get my business because I'm working on some stuff. And so I got to kind of put you down right now, but it's not because of you, it's because of me. Resist. Because when you resist, you make space. You make room for escape. Because I've held this, this house, now God just give me out. God just give me, give me a way out. Ignore one, thank you. Ignore will not help because I'm fully engulfed in the temptation and I'm just trying not to be bothered. I'm trying not to be consumed, but I'm already in it. You can't ignore but so long. And that's not the instruction. The instruction is to resist. You have to be bold enough to resist. The problem is we like to rehearse these long goodbyes with temptation. Be done with the long goodbye. I don't owe you no explanation for freedom. I don't owe you. I don't owe you no explanation for great. I don't owe you no explanation for better. I'm going to pray you're not hurt. But if you are, I have to pray for you. Because I'm not willing to risk it. This story of Samson, when I was little, that story terrified me. It terrified me because I never want to get from under the hand of God. I never want to do any. There's nothing valuable enough for me. I, I carry, even to this day, when I'm off, when I feel like I have disappointed God, I feel so bad about any, not because I want to be right, because I don't like being wrong. 
not wrong as in win the argument. Like, I don't like the position of wrong because it terrifies me at the thought of God removing his hand from me or him not being able to trust me. That, to me, makes a dire situation that calls for an exit to be urgent. God, give me a way of escape. God, let me hold this off of me long enough for you to make room to get me out, for you to change my mind. God, I, I rehearse this thought every day. God, and I have to say, God, clean my mind from this thought. I don't want to entertain that thought. That people that you're in the company of, that you know that this means no good for me. God, do what you have to do to separate this relationship and protect my heart while you do it. You have to call for the escape. Because like Pastor Wanzel said, from the time you went in, he had a way for you out. But you got to want the out. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I, there's a level of honesty that comes with a real relationship with God. It requires a level of honesty that the world teaches you is not okay to have. And it's so funny because it's only with that. Because they don't, lie, they don't mind for you being raw, real with everything else. For you being brutally honest. And I just hate that term because honest don't got, why, I got, why honesty got to be brutal? Like you can find a way to deliver the truth without stabbing somebody with it. But a relationship with God, when you really want to grow your relationship with God, when you really want to be who he's called you to be, it requires a level of honesty that starts first with yourself. Because we like to cast the devil as this big, bad, scary dragon, an unwanted presence. That if we're honest with ourselves, we've welcomed him into a lot of situations. We continue to welcome him into a lot of situations. We make justifications for his presence so that he doesn't have to, he can be ignored, that you know that it's not wanted, but I'm not demanding that you leave. In order to address temptation, in order for you to get the fullness of this series, it's going to require you to be honest. Because temptation isn't tempting if it's not something you want. You know what I mean? You are never going to tempt me with liver because I don't like that. <laughs> that is not going to create any desire for me. I can give you a swift no for that. You are never going to uh, tempt me into going ice skating. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. So I have no problem with that. I don't have no problem with you for liking it. I just don't. So I don't have a problem with denying you about it. Like, you want to go? I said, no, it's okay. I, I, I'd rather not. It's okay. And the same turn when you want to, I'm not a partier. I never was. That's not my thing. So when you're, no, thank you. It's okay. I'm good. Learn to be confident in the fact that you can say no. And then learn to be honest with yourself about the things that you're not wanting to say no to, but you need to. And not honest just with yourself. Be honest with God. Because God knows the devil didn't trick you. God knows you did that because you wanted to. So first, God, forgive me for the want to. And take it out of me. Take the desire out of me to do it. I've had to pray several times, God, take the appetite for it away. Because left in my own vices, I'm going to reach for it every time. God, take the desire for it away. Take it from the root of it so it can't grow back. Because I don't trust me with it. And I need for you to be able to trust me with it. So sever the ties that connect me to it. 
and be honest with yourself. When your phone rings, you know that is not my friend. That's my weed connect. Delete. Not deny the call. Delete the call. Delete the number. I don't need to have your contact because I don't need contact with you. Honesty. You'll miss the series. You'll miss the point. You'll enjoy the graphic. You'll enjoy the cliches. You'll like the notes. You'll have something to repost. You'll have something to send to friends. But if you're not honest with yourself, if you're not honest with your God, you will miss it. And I don't know about you, but I know I can't afford to miss it. The potential risk is too great. Too great us not to see beyond the moment. Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.